Hollywood is built on relationships and acting, acting, your acting career is built on relationships more than it is your, um, you know, my agent's not getting me out enough, man. I mean, how much do we hear that? Or how much have we said that over our careers is like, you know, yeah, my reps, they just don't, they just don't do much for me. Well, I got advice from a, a, a director once who said, I, I know you can want to complain about your agent, Doug, but your career and the success of it really lies in your relationship with directors. That's where it lies. Develop those and, and, then, you, and then you won't have to complain about your agent so much. Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co-host, AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott, and coming up in episode 194, the second part of my chat with creature and character actor Doug Jones, whose work includes the Hellboy films, Adaptation, Pan's Labyrinth, and the TV series Falling Skies, among many, many more. In part two, Doug and I chat about how he built and refined his specificity through student films and indie projects, how he used that specificity to book a top commercial agent and blow up the commercial world, and how playing to type, doing good work, and not complaining about it is the surefire path to success in the entertainment industry. That and much more coming up in episode 194, so stick around. This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com slash start. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. That's it's working, yo. Y-E-O-W. Yo, yo. I, yeah, I thought if you were going to say yo instead of yo, it would be Y-E-O-W. Yeah, I think that's about right. Yo, yo. So. Yo. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yo. So what is, uh, what's new in your world? I know we just, we spoke very briefly before we started recording here that we both were like, uh, I don't have a lot to update today, but, um, but God, it's just one of those weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's cool. And we, we even thought, Hey, that's kind of a topic in itself because we don't all always have stuff going on. So, um, but you, you kind of created a thing. You had a self-directed on camera session with a, a few people. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that we've been doing, me, Jasmine, and then a couple of our members, Matt Bailey and Michael Pauly, who live on the East Coast here, have been doing these basic, basically we just rent a room in somewhere in New York and go for like, you know, 20 bucks or, or so, so, you know, split several ways. It's really cheap to do this for like an hour. And we just go in there with either, uh, you know, an iPhone or 
a DSLR or something and put ourselves on tape doing audition material that we find on either Showfax or Jasmine gets some from her from her uh, on-camera acting classes, just whatever material we have and, you know, give each other notes. And it's just really important to keep up the practice and be able to see yourself on camera. And you might as well, you know, what's that saying? Maybe it's not a saying. There's there's like that idea that you get some of the bad stuff out of the way. Mm, what, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I know, like, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. You kind of just you can kind of just play and and make mistakes and have your bad. It's like when you're doing a theater show. It's like having your bad performance be your final dress rehearsal. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like all right, yeah. I got the bad one out of the way. That was shit. So now I can have a successful opening night and a successful run right, right. You know, and we don't we don't necessarily get a lot of rehearsal so having the ability to work those muscles is i think really important yeah and get comf- you know it's something changes when somebody presses record on a camera and points it at you you know it's it's, <laughs> yes. it's, a, it's hard to explain but there's like an energetic shit i was just talking about this with with mark vashro who's a, a patron you know, like, and, and this is in quantum physics. This is like a, a a phenomenon that you can observe scientifically that a particle will change its behavior when it when it's being observed. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know how they how they can tell by when they don't observe it how it changes its behavior. Maybe they just see the effect it has on other particles. My understanding of it is that your eyes fire out protons that connect with the electrons i think or hit the electrons in the molecules that you're viewing and then go back to your eye and that's how information is transmitted to to the object and back to your eye and the protons are are have a more mass than the electrons so when they hit the molecules they actually make them move like they move at the atomic Uh level so that by the time the information gets back to your eye that thing has already changed in a really trippy way, you're never looking at anything, <laughs> or or at least you're looking at how it existed uh, a millisecond before right, that, right, or a right. nanosecond before that. Oh, that's man. that's my that's my very layman understanding of that. If we have any quantum phys- physicists listening to the podcast or budding quantum physicists, yeah. uh, please feel free to reach out and correct me. But that's my that's my very uh, elementary explanation of it that is fascinating but but yeah it, it comes down to something sort of changing when it's being looked at whether it's electron proton photon exchanger or not it's it, it I, I think it's really valuable to just get used to that and build that muscle where it's like yeah this is a thing that i do and i'm totally cool with it now didn't used to be but now after like you know a dozen of these self-directed on-camera sessions with some friends i'm good I'm good. I'm good. I got this. I got this. Yeah, confidence yeah. is super supportive in and, that, and, in that area. Yeah, and what a great like if it's a slow week, what a great way to make it a productive week. That and just you know ticking off some things off the old you know to do list, um, like emailing sampling of my headshots to this uh, photographer that I'd like to get some headshots taken with, and. You know, just getting the emails out of the way. I, I mostly just worked at my thrival jobs, which is why I didn't have a lot to report. But like you said, that's an interest. It was like, what do you do when there's nothing to do? Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, I awesome. don't have a lot. What, yeah, I don't have. Yeah, a lot. what were you working on? I mean, nothing really. I mean, well, not nothing. I mean, acting wise, um, it's a lot of just sort of setting up dominoes right now. 
to steal yeah. that um, that sort of image from Brian Norris back in the very first Actors Roundtable uh, interview, or no, interview, I guess it was an interview, interview episodes, whatever those were, back like a year and a half ago. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, and uh, like really what I spent a huge chunk of my time on this week that was just fun and that felt really good was writing uh, in the... ABC meetup, which is what we're calling it, is the Always Be Creating meetup that Gadali, our um, web and marketing director, he kind of created this thing. He kind of masterminded this meetup that uh, that Inside Acting members would have every uh, first and third Saturday of the month. And it's essentially, it's like a creative mastermind group with a twist that we we brainstorm ways to support each other in making our own content and keeping each other accountable and refining the vision and things like that. And we had our first meeting uh, last Saturday, a week ago from the day we're recording this. And I committed to, um, having a sort of tangible, deliverable outline of this idea I've been kicking around for a long time. And so now that I know that people are going to be expecting a physical document for me to hand them, uh, I'm buckling down and doing the work and it's, it, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. And, uh, I had a lot of fun this week and I'm starting to see the story take shape and the characters take shape and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. That's great. I think that's great for you because you, you you do have a lot of really great ideas and the ability to execute on them, you know, to get get them written down. But it's always supportive to have some group or someone holding you accountable and not just holding you accountable as in like making sure you get it done, but also supporting you throughout the process. So that's fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's huge for me. I mean, we did that... Um strengths finder type thing with uh uh yuna una yuna mm-hmm. um i always forget which pronunciation it is but <laughs> wonderful <laughs> amazing listener from the uk and this is one of the things she does it's uh, talent dynamics i think is what the name of the company is and um we found out that one of my strengths is lots of great ideas a little struggle with the follow-through <laughs> um, so, um, it's really great to know that and, and move into the rest of my life knowing that, you know, I've got strengths, uh, that are great. And I also have a lot of areas where I could use some support and not be afraid to ask for that support. Y'all are listening to episode 195. Savvy listeners may have noticed that we are now just six episodes away from number 200. So we're like, what, five and a half, six years into this thing almost, and we're about to crack the big 200. And uh, we're going to be doing something kind of special. So keep an eye out. Some people have written in and been like, y'all going to do something cool for episode 200? Apparently those people that... (laughs) That we're from the south. That live, yeah, and live, yeah. live in Texas, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, yes, we are. Yes, we are going to do something. So uh, we wanted to mention it on this episode and let you know that there's been a lot of um, sort of planning and researching and setting things up behind the scenes, and we're about to unveil um, just something cool. It's not going to, it may not be anything crazy, or it might be epic. <laughs> You'll have to stay tuned to find out. But um, be ready for that and be ready to block out the week of, what is it, June 29th or something? Yeah, the, the, the dates that we're kicking around are June 29th through July 1st. Yeah, so Tuesday, Wednesday, like, or Thursday. Yeah. Like Trev said, we got some people writing in and, and there were people from 
uh, out of town. Like I think somebody wrote in from like the Bay Area and said, if you guys are gonna do something in Los Angeles for episode episode 200, I'll drive down or whatever. So we wanted to at least tease that there will be an event. It will involve our listeners. It will be June 29th through July 1st. So just keep that all in mind if you are coming from out of town or planning on attending the episode 200 event, that that is about the time frame and um, those are all of the details we are willing to divulge at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Awesome. Well, we got a great listener question uh, to respond to on this episode. Uh, but first, a quick shout out to our sponsor, Rehearsal 2. You guys have heard us talk about this app a lot, and it's because it is awesome. Rehearsal 2, it's the app for actors. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, and make stronger choices, all from the comfort of your iPad or iPhone, there's an app for that, and it's called Rehearsal 2. It's epic. I use it every time I have a meeting scheduled or I'm just trying to learn lines or even sometimes just just exploring scripts. You can download it for yourself and use it right now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. We have a listener question slash email slash update from our listener, Eric. He wrote in and basically sums it up in the first sentence by saying, I want, I wanted to shoot you a quick email to ask about writing a feature. That's the, the, the main thrust of his question. Though it goes into detail specifically saying, you know, he's been in LA acting for about two years. He's got five IMDb credits to his name. And while taking time to acknowledge how cool all that is, he feels like the next step is to get a feature film credit. And in the DIY spirit, he thought, why not write his own, which is awesome and also a huge part of what we talk about on the podcast. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, AJ, you have experience with this. You declared on your LOA when you were doing LP that you were going to book a feature film before LP ended. And uh, you basically made it happen for yourself, not not by submitting to something but by actually enrolling people in your life to <laughs> write a feature film for you to be in. Yeah, and then it happened anyway yeah, is, yeah. The, is the crazy thing. And that feature film ended up not <laughs> getting made, which is hilarious, but also just, you know, a sign. It's like, you know, one of those things like I declared that this was going to happen. I was going to be in a feature film. I started putting the wheels in motion, enrolling people to write, enrolling people to direct, enrolling people to, you know, get the equipment together and everything. And while putting that energy out into the universe, I ended up booking a feature film. Yeah. yeah. And then the rest of that stuff just kind of, you know, dissolved away, uh, possibly for the better. I also wasn't necessarily pushing it as much anymore. I learned a valuable lesson in that. Um, and so I, th I feel like, you know, Eric, there's a, just be open because there's always a, a possibility that you could be, you know, really putting all, all, a lot of effort into this and then what you actually want will just come along. <laughs> mm -hmm. He also says the main thing for him is that writing a feature film like 60, 90, 120 pages is hugely daunting. And then he turns out short form comedy bits, I love this, so fast that he's probably forgotten more than he's written down. But even 
a short feature film script would be as big as everything else that I've written and shot combined. And he finishes off by saying, I feel like it's a giant, a giant jawbreaker that I can't get my mind mouth around. I love that. Uh, I was wondering. <laughs> so yes. weird, but perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I was wondering if you had some ideas or resources for turning this mountain into a molehill. Can we just say that even in that email, I can tell this guy is a writer and yeah. a good one? <laughs> yeah, well, this, this is, uh, I know, seriously, this is Eric uh, Eberly, who's one of our longtime um, supporters. He's a member of the podcast, and he's been active on the on the group online, and um, we've met him several times, just a great guy. And he actually made a short not too long ago, just a month or two ago, that he shared with me, it just in, in the spirit of the whole Mark Duplass, you know, just be making stuff every every weekend with your friends and did you see that short that he put out aj it was like about the box in his kitchen that just appeared there and he couldn't move it no yeah maybe he only said he might have only sent it to me or i don't remember exactly how i saw it but it was really good it was really fun uh and he's got a he's got a real talent for sure uh, anyway, so yeah, Eric has had a lot of success with these little shorts, uh, and I, I think a, a feature is the sort of next evolution, and I, I just want to kind of take a moment to empathize with you, Eric, that, uh, yeah, features are very daunting. And it's funny because I kind of straddle the two worlds where on the one hand, I'm like, oh my God, how how could I ever write a feature? And then on the other hand, it's like, we talk to so many people on this on this show that just do it. And like sometimes they write like the draft like in a night, and yeah, I, I'm like, how, how, what, how, wait a wait, okay, wait a second. I I just I just responded off the off the cuff to him. Um, you know, I'm not a I'm not a an accomplished screenwriter yet, but a couple things that have been huge for me were well, actually three things, actually five things first three are books and we've talked about these books in the show before the first book is how to write a movie in 21 days by vicky king uh it's kind of a dated book it came out in the early 80s but it it, it's got some really good sort of basic structure stuff and it's very effective sort of day by day here's what you do today here's what you do the next day here's what you do the next day there are days off in there it's like a course so i found that really effective save the cat is great obviously that's like a a very um it's like a staple in every writer's library in terms of structure and different sort of tactics you can use to, to piece your, your film together with B plots and all sorts of stuff. And then thirdly, this actually isn't a book. This is a piece of software that I've talked about, Dramatica Story Expert, which uh, we'll have links to all these things in our show notes on the site. But Dramatica Story Expert is a, is a piece of software. It's kind of like a, a sort of virtual dramaturg in that it guides the writer through a series of open-ended questions uh, and multiple choice questions and fill in the blank questions so that you sort of naturally uh, take this idea you have, which might've been kind of vague and sort of funnel it through this, this machine that doesn't create a cookie cutter story for you by any means, but it does, it, it feeds it through a sort of algorithm that's, that's built on, 70 plus Oscar winning screenplays and it has all these kind of really deep thematic elements that it that it kind of steers you towards or away from based on on the content of your story and your previous answers it's a brilliant piece of software I've actually never made it the whole way through any of the the different levels uh, but I'd highly recommend that for just he- support like help in like chunking down this massive this massive thing and really getting um, down to like you know character archetypes and 
and um, what you're really trying to say with your movie. Uh, I also just recommended reading a lot of scripts. I, I, I get a lot of education sort of passively by, by reading scripts and seeing how other people have written and used the, the form and the format. And then, uh, and then thirdly, or four, fifthly, fifthly, wow, I just cannot count today. Fifthly, <laughs> fifthly, <laughs> don't be afraid to write shitty first drafts. Um, that's one that I struggle with a lot because I want everything I do to be excellent. And sometimes it's just not happening. Uh, a lot of writers will, will talk about writing their vomit draft. I think it's, it's like a word that people throw around a lot, you know, my vomit draft. And that's just like, bleh, get it all out on the page. Don't worry if it mm-hmm. sucks. Don't worry about structure, balance, any of that. Just like spit it out and then go back and shape it after everything is just out of your head, no matter what it looks like. Yeah. So I, for me, and I, I know a few other writers oftentimes it, that vomit draft kind of looks more like a short story at first, like a short story slash journal entry. In fact, I remember reading that Ryan Johnson, who wrote the film Looper, he wrote and directed Looper, and he also directed a, several episodes of Breaking Bad towards the end there. He writes all his first drafts in a moleskin notebook by hand. And then his editing process is transcribing those notes from that notebook into his computer and sort of getting rid of the extraneous stuff and keeping the good stuff. Yeah. One, one other thing I... I... Uh, wanted to throw out there because I don't know how Eric likes to work and I don't know if he's, you know, more visual or more auditory. Like, you know, we all learn in different ways. We all express ourselves in different ways. You can take some of the story structure stuff from say, save the cat or, or dramatica or, or your own experience or whatever. And I've seen so many times at uh, writers homes the the wall of index cards yeah the board and the board or the wall that becomes essentially a written story a written um storyboard Mm -hmm. and i've even seen uh writers use three different colors for the three different acts Mm -hmm. and then writing uh, events that you know you want to have happen onto the cards and then putting them in sort of like the order that that you feel like they might occur in, and then that way, when you look at the story as a whole, you can pick up an index card and go, go, okay, this can go there, this can go there, this can go there, and you just write, you know, in which something something character does something something, right? In which this happens, and then once you have feel like you know your your story has been chunked down, like Trevor likes to say, into you know these these more manageable sections then you can go and write dialogue for that particular scene and slowly but surely sort of build up your film from there yeah 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 and save Save the cat is so good for just kind of digging into that process and being like here's how many cards you get here's how many should be in each act here's where these certain story points should fall you know right right which card one through 40 Um, (laughs) yeah yeah uh, yeah, exactly. thanks, thanks for bringing that up, AJ, because I, I find, and, and Eric, you've probably found this too with your shorts, is that uh, like the writing part, the actual, like, I'm writing my screenplay now, I'm formatting my, my story as a screenplay, that part is like the last maybe 10 to 5% of the process. Like, so mm. much of the work before then is just like organizing, outline, you know, getting the ideas on the paper, shaping things, uh, getting rid of stuff, adding stuff. So making making sure that the story structure is sound such that when yeah. you actually plug in dialogue, even if the 
dialogue didn't make sense. If it was gibberish, the, the, the story would still make sense because of the events that are occurring, you know, from one step to, to the next. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, yeah. Anything what else an you want to add? No, no. I was just going to say what an interesting question. That That's not something – I mean, it's not like either one of us are necessarily writing experts. I mean, the most thing – the thing we talk about most is just the DIY concept. But just to to be able to field a question like this and apply – you know some of the research and reading that you've done trev some of your experiences having done your own films and doing the diy thing and writing and just the encouragement that comes from this community in general you know those two things combined we can we can sort of answer a question that we're not necessarily the experts on you yeah. know what i mean yeah so yeah. and it's the first time we fielded something like it so i just kind of wanted to point that out it's just really cool yeah. So, Eric, thank you for the question. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and I really can't wait to hear how this goes because I'm working on something similar. So, if you would love to um, partner on that somehow, please get in touch with us. Come to the next uh, ABC meetup, which will be next Saturday, June sixth, and you know, just keep us posted. I mean, whatever whatever works for you. But I'd love to hear how it how it uh, how it you know continues to develop. Uh, cool. Well, I guess it's that time of the episode. It is. It's that time of the episode it to is. roll into our interview or Trev's interview with uh, actor J- Doug Jones. Just a quick kind of reminder for where we left off. Last week, he had just been fired from his job at the bank. And we are now picking up with like, a, okay, I moved to L.A. with my uh, wife and we are now jobless and I have no idea where to go next. So now what? And that's where we start off with this interview and... There's a lot of gold nuggets in here, guys. So if you are the note-taking type, get ready because there's a lot to uh, to latch onto and, and take away from this. showbiz was here that's why the bank looked appealing out here was because it would geographically get me to the right place where something could then happen in, in what I really want to do so so I, I I went to what was then drama log magazine it's now backstage magazine and uh, backstage also is on that online thing they got the webernet uh, site uh, the worldwide on the worldwide webernet right exactly so, <laughs> so backstage uh, or then drama log uh, was it was the it came out it came out once a week on newsstands once a week every Thursday was Dramalog magazine Dramalog Thursday and it, right oh, no it was like an event every actor in town would like was salivating for Thursdays because that would be uh, everything you needed uh, uh, was in that magazine um, as far as like entry level actors all advertisements for photographers acting classes all that was in there articles about actors who were accomplished and how they got there. Um, so there the were interviews and there's also casting notices and that would be for student films, short films, 
We didn't have web series back then because we didn't have the web, uh, but we we uh, we had um, like industrial videos that we would actually like so corporate training films and that sure, kind of thing were being yeah. cast in there, and those jobs would actually pay a couple hundred bucks here and there, or whatever. That was one of my first gigs. Was, was a, it yeah. was a PSA for a company about um, racism or something? There you go. That's how I got there my SAG vouchers. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So. Uh, so union and non-union work was listed in there. It was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. It's all right here in print, right in front of you, once a week on Thursdays. And so we would have to, uh, again, this is before the World Wide Webernet. So if you wanted to submit yourself for any of these uh, casting notices, you had to get your 8 by 10 picture, staple your resume to the back of it, maybe put in a little cover letter. Hi, I'm so-and-so sure would love to be considered for the role of blah, blah, blah in your project, blah, 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 blah. Right. And then you had to put that into an envelope, address the envelope, put a stamp on that envelope and uh, go off to the mailbox and mail it. So you had. So Thursdays was that day where you just knocked off a couple of hours to make sure that that happened. So your picture and resume would land on somebody's desk before everybody else's. Right. We were all in a race to get our to get our submissions. in. wow. Oh, it was a crazy time, Trev. It was a crazy time. Just out of curiosity, how much did you say you spent on materials and postage and all that stuff every month? I think it was way more than your membership in one of those websites now, because because you know you had to buy a stack of of envelopes that were that were big enough to accommodate an eight by ten. You had to have uh-huh. pictures printed off way more than you do now. You do have to have some pictures now to take to auditions with you, maybe, but everything's submitted electronically. So, so we we went we went through pictures by the hundreds. Yeah, back I then. can imagine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so I'm just thinking, like, I pay twenty bucks a month for IMDb Pro, which mm-hmm. I think is the most expensive monthly subscription I have, but mm-hmm. then I have like 68 a year for actors access and there's 40 a year for casting about and then right. 10 bucks for Hollywood casting and filming. I mean, it adds up, but I wonder right. if it's, if it's comparable in terms of well, price. I, I limited myself to only 10 submissions a week because, because of the expense and postage wow. alone was getting up to, you know, for something that size was getting up in the 40 to 60 cent range where I, you know, it, it postage rises all the time. But, um, so, you know, we had 10 of those and you're, and you're on a really tight budget. You're making, getting unemployment checks and the wife is a reception. It's like, you know, right. and yeah. you're paying rent. Uh, it's cutting into the ramen budget. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so, uh, but, but, uh, a lot of those castings started to hit for me. Uh, the very first thing I got was a USC student film. It was a grad student. He was doing this artsy piece called the pool dweller. And, uh, and I, uh, so I played this, like this creepy guy that lived at the bottom of somebody's backyard pool and would come out to steal their hot dogs off the barbecue and, 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 you know, and, and, uh, you know, play with their cat or whatever at night you know bizarre it, it was kind of also boating of things to come for the type of role that i would be seen for tall wow. skinny guy have to be funny or scary I'm just gonna, <laughs> let's reiterate that i love that specificity though yeah yeah just yeah. the fact that you know that that's what your that's your strength like that's that's well, great you know, yeah honestly knowing your type is 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 50 percent of of getting started i yeah, think yeah. Uh, uh, because if you're if you're marketing yourself the wrong way and you, we see this all the time where you, you know, you'll see that the, uh, my first agent that I had, uh, collected headshots that were hilarious from, from, you know, so they get those blind submissions from people. Hey, would you please be my agent? And they would, uh, so I, they actually, this is cruel, but they had a collection of the ones that just would, would never, never, oh, really, never, man. never, never happen. And, you know, you would find the, the 65 year old woman with a feather boa and a tube top on trying to look seductive with too much makeup on uh, a lot of those or a lot of really heavy set people that were wearing something skimpy and marketing themselves as a leading lady, leading man. And it's uh, like, no, 
own own your look and be a character actor. Be the funniest damn character actor out there. And there's a need for that. Absolutely need for that. Or or be the the, the lady who's aging gracefully and can play the grandmother or in that show or on that TV or movie or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, be the Betty White if if that's the age you're at uh, and own it and be the best of that you can be. So uh, so I learned I learned a lot. About to owning my type for sure. Wow. You know, yeah, okay. Yeah. Play, right play my strengths and don't try to be something I'm not. Wow. Okay. So, the, so you, this was your your first experience as the sort of tall, lanky, creepy guy in this USC student the pool, film. The pool dweller. The yes. Pool dweller. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so then, and then that's when I learned the buddy system and the referral system. Uh, you know that Hollywood is built on relationships, and acting, acting, your acting career is built on relationships more than it is your. Um, you know, my agent's not getting me out enough, man. I mean, how much do we hear that? Or how much have we said that over our careers? Is like, you know, yeah, my reps, they just don't, they just don't do much for me. Well, I got advice from a, a, a director once who said, I, I know you can want to complain about your agent, Doug, but the, uh, your career and the success of it really lies in your relationship with directors. That's where it lies. Develop those, and, and, then, you, and then you won't be, have to complain about your agent so much. Wow! Wow! So that has come—that's come to pass, by the way. Mm. And that, but that go, looking back, it's like in hindsight, it's like you know what he was right because it, just at, at USC alone in their film department, once I did that pool dweller uh, uh, piece, film students have other film students help them on their projects, right? Yeah. So the guy <clears throat> running the camera, the guy script supervising, the guy PAing or you know or setting up lights, they're all going to be working on their own project within the next year. So if they like you, you work well, you know, if you, if you, if you are good at what you do and you're pleasant to get along with and easy to work with, uh, they'll, they'll keep you in their Rolodex and they'll call you for their project as well. So that's what started happening was I got, I got into a loop at USC and did some more student films there that I, that I was kind of proud of and happy about. And, uh, and that was a great way to start building my little reel. Now, back then we put our reels together off on VHS tape, mm-hmm. right? And you'd have, oh God. So again, mailing that out is just something you didn't do very often. And getting those reproduced was well, it was pretty pricey. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, much, much more difficult back then to get your your reel seen by somebody. But um, but uh, yeah, but that that's how I started uh, racking up those credits and that footage, and the, the training films. I also got in with a company. Oh gosh, I can't remember what the production company name was, but uh, I had submitted for an audition for a training video for Bennigan's restaurant to be like a goofy. Bennigan's. Yeah. Is it around anymore even? I don't even know. I don't think they're around. I don't even know. But I was a goofy waiter in this uh, training video. And, uh, and it was really great fun to play. It was written very much like a sitcom was. And I was, I was kind of living my sitcom dreams in this training video to being the goofy waiter that, uh, the waiter not to be. I'm sorry, server, the food server, not to me, <laughs> right? So yeah, s- since that day, they've changed titles. But um, yeah. anyway, uh, uh, the lady who was directing it uh, had a producer working with her uh, in that production company who then was directing his own uh, training film for, uh, gosh, a real estate company or, you know, or an insurance company. And so, so I got into, the, into that company's loop. They would come back and those were all paid gigs, you know, a couple hundred bucks here or there. And, uh, you know, then I... I did, I did a training video for Vaughn's Grocery Stores, and that would pay me $500 for the day. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is fabulous. So, so while I was doing all those, and that was all from my own submitting, that was not my, my agents weren't involved with that. Uh, I want to stop you for just one second because you mentioned that you, you had an agent at this point. And yeah. I, I'm sure some people listening are going to wonder how, how did I get that first how agent. That, how did that work out? Yeah. Right. So, so let, let me backtrack then to uh, 
to shortly after I got fired from the bank, right? Um, um, well, I discovered Drama Log Magazine, right? And so, uh, and and uh, so I'm looking at that every week, and I started submitting myself uh, uh, off of with with snapshots. I didn't have eight by tens yet. I just I t- had some pictures that I <laughs> like like snapshot size, like four by six. They were. And I would just kind of send, like, this is all I have, but I sure like the sound of your project. <sighs> oh, what I, I, I was so naive. Um, anyway, but um, the lovely Mrs. Lori at her advertising agency was telling people at work, like, oh, my husband got fired from the bank and he wants to be an actor, so <laughs> good luck, right? Well, one of the guys that worked at her advertising agency, one of, one of their sales guys, was, an, uh, was a man named Armand Sarami. And Ar- Armand Sarami was one of the cops in the Blues Brothers movie. Now was you know had, had was having had a desk job and was a respectable human being, but before he was an actor. Right? So, <laughs> uh, so he overhears this and he says, "Yeah, you let me take your husband to lunch one day and we can talk about showbiz." So it was very very sweet of him to um, to take an interest in this young goofy guy that that was now fired and looking at what he wanted to do with his life. So Armand uh, took me out to lunch and he paid. I was very impressed. <laughs> and, uh, and he's the one who told me that like, yeah, TV commercials might be where you want to start focusing first because as an unknown actor with no credits on a resume, you might have trouble getting cast in, in a TV show or a movie. Commercials is more of a numbers game with, and, a, and a more of a look game. Uh, the, your look will get you in the door faster than your credits will. So let's start with commercials. And uh, back then you couldn't get your Screen Actors Guild uh, Taft-Hartley or membership through extra work. There, there, there was no connection back then. Uh, so you had to get cast as a principal performer, either on a commercial or a TV show or a movie, with dialogue on TV or film. Uh, but, but in commercials, you didn't have to have spoken dialogue. You could Things qualified you to be a principal if you had product interaction or were directed by the director himself. There were things that, that, that warranted you being a principal. Uh, right. So right. that was that was my issue. So okay, so commercials might be the best way to get the unionship, the union memberships thing started. And uh, looking through to the Dramalog magazine, not only was I looking at, uh, not only was I looking at the casting notices to see like what can I build up a reel with and what can I get paid for, but also what commercial classes now because I don't know much about TV commercials. How do you do them? How do you get an agent? Right? I didn't have an agent, so I looked through. Uh, uh, I saw advertisements in there for many acting classes. And I, anyone that specifically mentioned TV commercials, I would give them a call. And I would ask, will you let me come audit one class for free so I can make a, make a, a proper decision about it? So I found five, five classes out of all those phone calls that said, sure, we'll we let you come in and, and, and sit through a class for free. So I went and audited five classes and I went back to the one that made sense to me. And that was the LA commercial workshop. I don't think it's it's even around anymore. Uh, And the teacher was Philip Carr. God rest his soul. Mm -hmm. He's passed away many years ago. Uh, But he, um, Philip Carr was this pudgy man with a, with a kind of a New York sense of humor about him. And he totally, and he totally got me. Now, when you're looking for acting coaching or acting classes or teachers, it's like finding a date. You have to click with this person, you know, um, uh, because you're, you're entrusting a part of yourself to them, you know. 
and the wrong instructor will, uh, and I'm, I'm, I don't take classes well, I'm going to be honest, and every actor is different, and what, what makes all of us tick and what makes all of us, what inspires all of us to perform is different. We're all different personalities, different types. So um, some people are love classes and thrive in them. Others uh, don't want to be anywhere near them. And uh, unfortunately, that was me. Uh, so, um, so finding an instructor who would, who would be able to, to reach into my soul in, in a way that I would allow was difficult. Philip Carr was the guy because he was so casual about it. He had no designs on tearing me down and building me back up to, this, to, to his specs. Uh, those kind of instructors drive me out of my mind <laughs> you know, where they want to take what your natural gift that you have and just like destroy it and then you then uh, do a textbook version of, of what an actor should mm-hmm. be on you it's like Da-da-ha! so um, uh, all, all those control exercise you know yeah. submit yeah. to my authority young actor I go, oh, okay listen mm-hmm. listen that's Robin Dougie the wrong way <laughs> So, uh, so anywho, um, uh, Philip Carr, fantastic. Uh, and, and so I, I, I went back and started paying for those, for this workshop. And what I asked him was, um, they had two levels of classes. Um, I saw that they, that they were advertising an entry level class. It was a six week course. You would go for, you know, an hour a week for six weeks at the end of which, uh, once you've learned all these things and been on camera some, at the end of the six weeks was a a showcase, a, an agent showcase night where they would invite commercial agents in and maybe one would pick you. Uh, that's what I wanted because I thought, I don't have an agent. That's a great short answer to get one or to get in front of some at least. So uh, I told Philip Carr that. Uh, and after he saw me participate in the audit class I audited, and I also came back for a second night uh, that I started paying for it. I participated again. I was on camera. I got some commercial copy and I performed it. Um, and then after class, I, I said to him, um, uh, now, agents, what? Right? And he says, you don't have an agent yet? I said, no, I don't know what an agent is, really, honestly. I, and he's like, well, here's my card. Call me at the office. He hands me his business card, and he is the vice president of the West Coast office of Wilhelmina. I did not know this. Wilhelmina is, was a, is a huge modeling name in New York. Uh, I mean, they're up there with Elite and Ford, like as in pretty people models, right? They had a West Coast office with a bunch of pretty people. They had a TV commercial department that was in the top 10 in the city, uh, but known as the Pretty People Agency. They didn't have a whole lot of character actors, and so that's why, why he was just, Philip had watched me in class, and, and he was enamored with me and, and I, I offered a visual that he didn't have on his roster. So mm. he, uh, he said, come meet the agents. And, uh, so I called him off that business card. I screamed all the way home. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just fell into someone's <laughs> hands. Who's good at what he does. That is amazing. So I, I called him, uh, I went in and met with the commercial agents. They, we all fell in love with each other and that was my first agency. So that was a much easier story than, than most people get. You know, wow. so, to, and it was your commercial agent. So my, you were you rep theatrically at this no, point? No, I was okay. not. Uh, they were they were my, but but I didn't I didn't even, I was I didn't think I was even ready for a theatrical career yet. So I just thought, well, let's do this commercial thing first. So I started going out on, on auditions, a lot of them, and my first booking came six months later. Now, mind you, my unemployment checks lasted for six months. The week my unemployment check ran out was the week I booked my first commercial for Southwest Airlines as a dancing mummy. Yes. Also boating of things to come, Trev. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. It's just the beginning, isn't <laughs> right, it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
wrapped from head to toe in dirty bandages and right. i thought that i was hitting the big time you know what i mean it's like uh well wow. and it was it was a sag it was a screen actors guild commercial i was gonna get taft hartley to know oh, this is so exciting and i got paid money you know to do this uh, this job well that uh that commercial then that that sag eligibility then then opened up uh more casting directors were now willing to see me so my audition rate went way up and i started booking commercials boom chicka boom chicka boom right after that i did um I did a Bob's Big Boy and a Worlds of Wonder toy commercial. Uh, but the Bob's Big Boy was as a, as a nerdy guy with horn rim glasses and plaid pants. The Worlds of Wonder toy commercial was, uh, uh, was a, a, for a toy called the Pamela Doll. And um, they were casting a bunch of aliens from outer space to be heavily made up and wear spacesuits. Um, called like uh, Joe's. Yeah, right, <laughs> but we didn't, nobody knew that then. This is one of my first things. Because on my resume were these special skills contortionist mime mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so i so uh, so commercial agent um, all the, the the agent team at Wilhelmina sent me out for anything that was physical or pratfalls or physical comedy or costumes or right. clowning or miming specifically if, if a casting call uh, called for that so uh, so here, the, this alien job for the Pamela doll was absolutely asking for mimes and clowns and acrobats and stunt people and what, you know anything but that had movement experience of any sort. They wanted to see them, and uh, so there I walk in at six foot three and a half, one hundred and forty pounds, and with some movement experience. And that was one of those auditions where uh, I got a call back right away. And at the callbacks, the room is full of the agency and the man and the the client, uh, from right. the, the people from World's Wonder Toys and and the, the production company with the director and his producer and everybody, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to boast about myself, but, but, uh, uh, I moved around like an alien and I did the, you know, the, the scenario they set up for me to do the performance they wanted me to give in this, this callback. And everybody sat there with their jaws dropped, just kind of going, wow. <laughs> so I kind of left that room thinking, I think I booked this one. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, sure enough. I, I did. I had booked it and, uh, and uh, that was one of the, uh, another relationship that started mm. was the cre- the creature effects team that made the alien outfits. Uh, no way. Yes. I, so that would be Steve Neal. Uh, he was he ran this little shop out of his garage uh, at home where he made monsters for movies, TV shows, and commercials. So uh, now Steve Neal, if you know the name V Neal, she's one of the of the regular judges on Face Off on the Sci Fi Channel, and she's also an Oscar multi Oscar winning makeup artist. V Neal, she does the Hunger Games most recently, and and all kinds of uh, things. Well, anyway, and she also did my makeup in Batman Returns years later. But uh, uh, so Steve Neal was her first husband. Uh, now they were divorced by the time I met him. But uh, Steve uh, and and um, and his he brought a team of people together. Uh, because he worked out of his garage. So when he had a, a big job like this huge Pamela campaign, uh, uh, he had to pull people together from other shops. So he would borrow creature effects people from other, other shops and whatnot. And, uh, and then, um, so working with him on the, on that Pamela doll commercial, again, the reputation was started to form that I'm a tall, skinny, goofy guy who moves well, wears a lot of crap on his face and body. And most importantly, Trev doesn't complain about it. 
That's the biggie. Hmm. Most actors are very diva-like and very like self-absorbed and very like, this is hot. Get it off me. Does it have to poke there? Uh. Right. You know. So if you're not that, it does stand out. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. which I again that Midwestern values work ethic. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but it came into play here. I said yes to doing a job that I knew was not mm. human. So therefore, that comes with some discomfort, some heat, some whatever, some weight. Okay, got it. Well, anyway, uh, uh, Steve Neal and his team of people were just like. Uh, very, very taken with me, and I, I'm blessed and thankful for that. Uh, because then the next commercial campaign that I auditioned for was the Mac Tonight campaign for McDonald's. Now, Mac Tonight, again, you're kind of young, you're not going to remember this, but um, Mac Tonight was a crescent moon headed character, uh, a crescent moon with a face on it and wore sunglasses, sang at a piano when the clock strikes. Hey, half past six, babe. I remember, I vaguely remember you might, that. You yeah. might, it would be yeah. some, you would be, you would been, you would have been barfing up uh, formula <laughs> and being rocked. But yes, you would remember. Uh, so anyway, because they ran the crap out of those commercials. Um, anyway, I was auditioning for, for the Mac Tonight character from mcdonald's which was a you know they had all their characters ronald mcdonald and the hamburglar and mayor mm-hmm. mccheese and all those yeah. all those mcdonald land characters but that were those were kid friendly and those were daytime characters they wanted a character that that adults would would, would uh would f- connect with and that would bring business in after 4 p.m so that's that's what mcdonald's campaign was doing so yeah, this this cool hip love you babe nightclub singer moon guy was a nighttime figure and uh, so that's what they were looking for. Who comes so, up with this stuff? Right. Well, exactly. Yeah. So at, the, at my first audition for, for the Mac Tonight campaign, um, they didn't have the moon head made yet. So in the auditions, they wanted you to uh, lip sync this pre-recorded track that had already been uh, recorded. The music was, the, uh, was a, a, a rewritten version of that Bobby Darren song, Mac the Knife. Uh, and it was, it was now called Mac Tonight. Uh, so... So they would play this this big band, you know, groovy Las Vegas sounding sort of like music and uh, and have you kind of gyrate around and feel the music and, and uh, lip sync along and play along. So I did that with, with they had it playing in the lobby and they wanted to get familiar with the song over and over and over again. Then when I went into the audition, I had to then perform it. Well, I got through that lip syncing and playing along with music was just something that I did. Okay, the first the first take was like, oh great, gosh, Doug, that was fabulous. Yeah, we want you to do it again, but we're gonna put this on your head. It was a paper sack with eye holes cut out of it, so that oh my god, yeah, they put a bag over my head. They were doing it with everybody, uh, so mm-hmm. they could see what your body language did without your without the lip syncing, without your facial expression, because you're gonna be wearing a huge moon head that was puppeteered by somebody else. So what did your body do on its own? Paper bag on the head to prove it. So, so at the time, I remember sitting there thinking, this is humiliating, right? <laughs> right? And yet, it's like, I totally get the, the like, practically, I, I get why they're doing this. Okay. So uh, I went along, I played along, and I, I didn't act like I was miffed or, or, or insulted by this bag on the head. Yeah, I think that's that's a good lesson for all of us. Just play along, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be asked to do to do things in this world that are beneath you all the time, constantly. Uh, play along, uh, uh, play it through as far as it'll go before it does truly get insulting, and and you might find a, a nugget of gold in there somewhere. So my I did, my nugget of gold was getting cast as the Mac Knight campaign uh, character. So you were you were that I was that guy, and wow. I, I ended up. How about that? I booked it, and I ended up. Uh, it started with four TV commercials, a four commercial shoot right off the bat. 
uh, the campaign was humongously successful. So they came back for more and more and more. So for the next three years of my life, I did the Mac Tonight campaign. Uh, I ended up doing 27 commercials for oh the McDonald's Corporation. Wow. Yeah. I did I did some <clears throat> convention appearances for them as well. And it just became like my first calling card was, you know, that Mac Tonight campaign on, on TV? Yeah, that's me. That's me. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was the first thing I could say, impress people with. You know, oh, my, my God. Wow. So what <clears throat> came with that, though, Steve Neal, working out of his garage still, uh, he, was the, he was the creature effects makeup guy that, that made the Moonhead. So not only did that help me get the gig, I, I auditioned well, yes, but also uh, when, when the, the production company and the, and the advertising agency was consulting with their creature effects guy, uh, they were going down the list of, of, here's who we have auditioning. There's a short guy, there's a tall guy, there's a skinny guy, there's a muscly guy, da 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 And so Steve Neal saw me, my name on, I had just done that Pamela doll commercial with him, right? The month before uh-huh. he looks at the list of people of options. He goes, Oh, well, that's who you want right there. Bless his heart because of all those things, right? Tall, skinny guy moves well, wears a lot of crap and doesn't complain about it. Right? Right, so right. He remembered having a nice experience with me. So he referred me. So that, that kind of helped me book that gig over the short guy who wow. was equally as, as, you know, as wonderful and performing and all that. I'm starting to see sort of the sort of seeds of of, <laughs> of what your career has been built on. Yeah. Because yeah. Cause I think it's, it'd be easy to to sort of look back and be like, oh, you know, everything just kind of fell into place. And it was really... Nothing falls sort into of, place. <laughs> but yeah, but, but hearing you tell the story, I'm hearing work begets work. Yes. Um, you know, it's a relationship business. Absolutely. Um, obviously, don't complain. Be somebody who's professional, who's a joy to work with. Yes. Uh, and know your specificity. Know your type. Yeah. And just yeah. come at it from that. And those four things together, that, mm-hmm. that's like unstoppable if you can work all those things all at once. <laughs> you can there's, become a force of nature. There's yes. nothing you There's nothing you, you kind of can't do if you come from those four, four things, those four pillars. Good, good. Let's write a book. Good assessment. Let's, <laughs> let's do that. Or better yet, let's do a podcast. Let's do a podcast. We should start one <laughs> about acting. It'll be great. Oh, no, nah, it'll never sell. Wow. Anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, right. So, no one ever listened. Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, it's all good, Trev. No one listens to this podcast, so <laughs> you might as well you might as well start a ton of them. Where, yeah, start. Just go. Let's all start a pod. Everyone start a podcast with Trevor or myself. No one's gonna listen to them. It's fine. We can say what we want. We can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man! Yow. So, um, your pick of the week, dude, is a classic. Uh, oh yeah! I'm so stoked. Is it really? Has it really been 20 years? Yes. Is everyone ready to feel old? Everyone out there ready to feel old? This is my pun. This is not a pick of the week. This is a punishment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ready? Ready? Next week, or in two weeks, rather. I think it's June 13th. Is the is the actual date? June 13th, 2015, will be the 20 year anniversary of the release of Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Now we all feel old. (laughs) So we can move on and talk about just how absolutely brilliant this, this album was. I, I loved it. I had every word memorized. I used to listen to it constantly and I wasn't even going through a break 
fucked up. I just liked it. I just thought it was good music. <laughs> yeah, it's just a fantastic album, and and it still holds up. Like if you go back and listen, which I do, I go back and listen to either individual songs or the album as a whole from time to time because it's one of my favorite albums of all time. It still holds up. It it really does. It sounds great, and um, you know, it's uh, you know, she had a couple of great follow up albums, but they were six six hits on that album. Six. Yeah. I remember dating Juliet Carlson in high school and she would sing Ironic, that Ironic song. Mm-hmm. And I remember like it was yesterday and God, that was 20 years ago. I was, I, didn't, I wasn't even driving yet. <laughs> and, yep. and I'm got, but I swear it feels like, it feels like it was just a couple months ago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Talk about blowing your mind. Anyway, yeah. uh, so in honor of its 20th uh, anniversary, I wanted to make him my pick of the week. All right. What is your pick of the week, my, my friend? Pick of, my pick of the week is something that Gadali turned me on to that I'd been meaning to watch, but Gadali was really like, you know, he kind of pushed me over the over the edge. Uh, Daredevil on Netflix. Marvel's Daredevil. Have you now? You have you have a YouTube link here. I thought you might. I thought you meant it with the the net. When I saw Daredevil, I thought you meant the Netflix show. But you have a YouTube link. Is that to the trailer? It's the trailer. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got yeah. it. I have not watched it yet. I I, I would love to oh. start binging it. But everyone I've talked to, and now you and Gadali included, has said nothing but good things about it. So it, it's really well done, and it's very—you know what I like about it? It's just very artistically done. Like everything from from the cinematography to the pacing and the 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 style of storytelling. It's not like it doesn't feel like a superhero thing. It it kind of feels like Batman, actually. It's 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 dark that way, but in a in a Chris Nolan yeah, trilogy, you like mean? the Christopher Nolan yeah. trilogy of Batman, but in a but it, this one feels more artistic slash poetic in the, in the way it's kind of presented. And let me just say, these fight sequences are phenomenal. They are so well choreographed and executed and shot and everything. And and I, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but I'm going to go ahead and just throw this out there. The last five minutes of episode two is one of the coolest five minutes I've, I've ever seen on, uh, of television. It is just, it's just awesome. And one of my favorite parts is that he's, he's not really like a superhero, except that he has like super hearing and like the ability to sort of sense things. But other than that, he's, he's a pretty mortal guy. He gets his ass kicked on a regular basis. And it's just kind of, <laughs> cool. it's kind of cool to see the good guy struggle and sometimes lose, but also put up a hell of a fight uh, anyway, phenomenal. I'm only like five episodes in, but the whole season's available on Netflix. And and God, just just take anybody listening to this, just take an hour or two and, and watch the first two episodes this week, and thank me later. It's it's quite good. Our longtime listener Jamie Hansen sends in. Uh, it's a YouTube link as well to another trailer, but this one's for a documentary feature that he claims is brilliant, wonderfully entertaining. And an absolute must-see. It's called Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon. And I saw this, and I'm like, that's not a real thing. How, how, is, this a, how, how is this a documentary? It's a documentary about a, 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 about a Jewish superhero, I, I guess. I don't understand. And uh, I, uh, I looked it up, uh, checked out the trailer, and, and this is a person. Shep Gordon is a person who has 
rubbed elbows with Hollywood's elite for a very long time. But he's also just like a really amazing person and is, I kid you not, personal friends with the Dalai Lama because of his work fundraising and uh, doing philanthropy work for uh, Tibet. It's like, who is this? How is this guy not a household name? Uh, It's amazing. But but, uh, the documentary is just about him, his journey, his relationships, how he got into it all, who he who he knows <laughs> yeah, yeah um and uh obviously haven't seen it yet i don't know how jamie saw it it came out or it comes out uh here anyway on june 6th so maybe he saw an early screening or something like that but uh i'm excited yeah it looks cool and it's it's a documentary from mike myers like <clears throat> austin powers mike myers he made this documentary which i think is pretty cool and uh i have to say i was watching the trailer and i was like oh that's a, a sort of core inside acting principle and oh that's something that we've talked about in the show like it's kind of cool to be like hey this guy who's apparently one of the most generous giving powerful guys in the industry is is saying a lot of the things that we've been saying on the show too i i just i got kind of happy about that so uh wow y'all have quite a lot of stuff to check out this week that's daredevil on netflix jagged little pill 20 year anniversary one of the greatest albums ever written and Supermensch member win of the week comes from longtime listener George Savage with uh, a film that he's in called Savage Land. His name is George Savage, and he is one of the leads in the film, but the, the name of the film is not associated with his name. It right. just happened yeah, to I, be I, called that. <laughs> and it, it just got into some, some, some festivals, uh, a few of them, actually. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, he just said it's an example of DIY filmmaking and trying something unheard of. I guess there were three directors that directed this, so maybe mm-hmm. there's like different sections of the film. I don't know. I haven't I haven't seen it, and it's also been selected for the Temecula Independent Film Festival, June, which is June 10th through the 14th. So, and this on top of <clears throat> what Trevor, you know, you mentioned, what was it, a couple episodes back that he was doing a play down at the Electric Lodge in Venice. Yeah. Yeah. So he's crushing it. He's right making now. things happen. Yeah. And I, I watched the trailer for Savage Land. You can go to the website. I forget the name of the site offhand, but I'll make sure we post a link to it on uh, our site in the show notes. But the trailer looks pretty, pretty um, intriguing. And George is uh, making things happen. And if you would like your win of the week featured on the podcast, please log in or sign up if you haven't yet. Our membership log in and add it to the uh, the wins section of the membership. Absolutely. All right, well, today's episode of Inside Acting is produced and co-hosted by us, Trevor Algott and A.J. Meyer. Jen Levin is at hard at work behind the scenes as our production coordinator, along with Gadali Guberek, our marketing and web director, Jasmine Bristow, our director of public relations, and Deborah Smith, our community manager. Uh, Trevor Algott composed our theme music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on iTunes, where you can also leave us a five-star review, and no less. (laughs) (laughs) And a huge thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal 2 and VO2GoGo.com. And a huge thanks to you, our listeners. If you love Inside Acting and you want to maximize its value in your life and career, 
Sign up as a monthly member and get cool perks like access to our membership message board, cool freebies, like access to AJ's Digital Actor Workshop, which has been recorded and partially uploaded, I think mostly uploaded at this point, to the, uh, to the membership. Yeah, I think um, it's like the first half. Yeah, so uh, but a lot of great content in there, um, even just with that first half. Uh, you'll also get access to uh, things like ex- like invites to exclusive member meetups, like the ABC meetup that we had and that we're going to continue having. You'll also get discounts on merchandise. We've got more IP, IA, IAP t-shirts in the works, uh, as well as other upcoming podcast offerings. It's just, we try to make it awesome for you. So uh, if you're interested in that and you really want to take advantage of it, visit InsideActing.net and click on the membership tab. Good episode. That's all for episode 194 of Inside Acting. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, yeah.